Welcome to the Cruciform Life Church podcast, featuring the weekly sermons from our Sunday gathering. Please visit us online at www.cruciformlifechurch.org for more information. Let's stand for more seats as we read Genesis chapter 35. And we'll just be looking verses 1 to 15, reading of God's word. God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that were among you, and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go to Bethel, so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress, and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had, and the rings that were in their ears, Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them, so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, that is, Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. And Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried under an oak below Bethel. So he called his name Alan Bacchus. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padan Aram, and blessed him. God said, Your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel, and God said to him, I am the God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you. And I will give the land to your offspring after you. That God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him. A pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it. And poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God has spoken with him. Let's ask the Lord's grace and illumination for us as we come to his word. Father, we thank you and bless you, Lord God, for your word before us. And Lord, we know that we are blind in our understanding apart from your Holy Spirit. And we humbly ask, Lord, for your Holy Spirit to illumine our hearts and our minds that we may understand you. This we pray in Jesus' name. The difference between a child and a mature person. A child, and you can attest to this with your children, who just do what is asked of them, but never cared if they did it right or wrong, isn't it? If you tell your children to 
put things on one side, they'll just dump it there many times. That mature person cares to do it rightly. To do it rightly. And this could be a picture of our worship to God. And many of us probably today still do not care if you rightly worship God. It's so long as you somehow express your worship to God, you sing songs today, and that's it. You're okay with it. We are okay with it. Well, Jacob himself, last week we see that he gave a form of worship to God in Genesis 33 verse 20, but it was in the wrong place. And our text today is somehow God brought him to the right place where he should worship at the time. So in all of scripture, we understand that God did not just call us to worship, but specifically call us to worship him in the right way. To worship him in the right way, in a pure, theologically right, with a deep, Joy in worshiping Him. That's what God wants from us. He wants us to rightly worship Him. So why should we not just settle? Why shouldn't we just settle with being content of worship, but pursue the right worship? Pursue the right worship. The title of our sermon today is The Worship We Ought to Pursue. The worship we ought to pursue. Jacob's presumptuous, misplaced. Di po yun yung place na tinawag siya ng Panginoon para sambahin siya. When he comes back to the promised land, it was a worship on his own terms, if you may. His presumptuous worship resulted to Consequences that for sure Jacob uh, regretted. His daughter was raped, and that rape of his daughter led to his sons to murder almost all the males of the city. And Genesis 35 basically, God summoned, God summoned Jacob to. Put his worship right. Genesis 35 verse 1. It reads. God said to Jacob. Arise. Go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there. To the God who appeared to you. When you fled from your brother. What is crazy. That we see last week. Is that it was Jacob. Who sinned against God. Big time in Genesis 34. But the crazy thing about the grace of God is it was God who first came to Jacob. It was not, God did not wait for Jacob to come to God. God came to Jacob and this is good news. This is beautiful for us who continues to sin against God. And isn't it that it's God who always comes first and brings us back to repentance. And it seems like God is undoing, he was, seems like God was undoing the mistake of Jacob in settling and worshiping him at Shechem so that 
Tinawag po ng Panginoon si Jacob to move from Shechem to Bethel na yung layo po ng Shechem to Bethel is actually 1,000 kilometers away. It's 1,000 kilometers up from Shechem. And he called him to dwell in Bethel instead of Shechem. Which I believe is quite important in the story. In Genesis 34, the word, the word dwell is mentioned six times. Dwell. And it was the struggle in Genesis 34 because the people of Shechem is saying, Jacob, dwell with us. Stay with us. Be one with us. Be one with us. And actually the drama revolved around it. If they were going to dwell in Shechem instead of the place where God has called them. And God also called him to make an altar in Bethel. To make an altar. And the word altar in chapter 35 is mentioned four times. Sorry, sorry, Bethel. The word Bethel is mentioned four times. He was to make an altar in Bethel. It was mentioned four times. The word there, which points to Bethel, is also mentioned four times. Which seems to suggest that the place of worship was very, very important. It was important to God and it supposed to be important for Jacob as well. And lastly, God called him to Bethel that he may worship the God who appeared to him. The God who appeared to him when he was fleeing from his brother. Now all this seemed to say, Sim, to tell us that this is something to do with the worship of Jacob. Now, as we look at the, the, the location of the story that we have, it will make us realize the beauty of the picture here. It's a beautiful place to have a teaching on worship. This is at the end of the spotlight on Jacob in the book of Genesis. At the end of the spotlight on Jacob, we know that after chapter 11 of the book of Genesis, the focus is Abraham. And then one chapter was focusing on um, Isaac, that, that is Genesis 26. And then from there, the focus was with Jacob. But after that one, the focus will be on the sons of Jacob, particularly Joseph, Jacob's favorite son. So this is at the end of the spotlight on Jacob. In fact, look at the closing way that Moses closed this spotlight on Jacob. We will have the completion of the 12 sons of Jacob with the birth of Benjamin in verses 16 to 21. Verses 16 to 21. And then right after that one, we are... The, the sons of Jacob, the twelve sons of Jacob that will become the twelve tribes of Israel will be named. Will be named. Everything is being closed. Like Rachel, who we know stole the, the household of, household gods of Laban, who lied that it was her who took 
advocate would also be somehow judged here. He died in delivering Benjamin. And she wanted her baby, her last baby before she died, to be named Ben-Oni, which means son of sorrow. But, ben, but Jacob said, no, the name of my son is Benjamin, which means son of my strengths. The son of my strength. Even Jacob did not honor Rachel for the sorrow he went through to deliver the last baby. And while chapters help us, I think chapters help us as we read the books of Scripture, it greatly helps us. The division of the book of Genesis is not by chapters, but by generations. There are ten generations in the book of Genesis. We call it Toledot. Ten generations. And in Genesis 36, we have the, we have the generations of Esau. Which tells us that uh, a section is about to close and a new section is about to open. A focus is about to be ended, a new focus is about to be opened. By the way, just a sidebar I gave you the overview of chapter 35 and chapter 36. Because our last, next sermon will be Genesis 37 already. I would not spend a Sunday with Genesis 36. Let's be excited to jump to Genesis 37 and see a beautiful picture of redemption um, through Joseph, through the story of Joseph. And so we have a story here that served like a culmination of the, of the spiritual journey of Jacob. And if Abram's faith, if Abram's faith somehow climaxed, somehow climaxed, or the peak of Abram's spiritual journey is the offering of his son Isaac. This is the climax in the story of Jacob's spiritual journey. And it talks about worship. Where we somehow see the right worship of Jacob in contrast to his presumptuous worship in Genesis 34. So Genesis 35 verses 1 to 5 is set in contrast to Genesis 34. What we see here is that if redemption should progress, if redemption should progress, it will be through obedience. Or let me say, it will be through a perfect obedience. That is a clear picture of the overview of the story of Abraham and the story of Jacob. And really our sermon today, so that is the picture, really our sermon today is like an implication of the truth. Okay, it's like an implication of the truth. Because that truth tells us that we should pursue the right worship through him who perfectly obeyed God, the Lord Jesus Christ. So what I will be doing from here is we will go to the practical things about worship. And then we will go back to the big picture that I just laid down to us as we close. Okay, so let's dive into the practical thing about worship. 
then let's go back at the end of our sermon of the big picture, which is the message in the book of Genesis. As I've said, when we start, we often settle with just merely expressing our worship. Nakapagsamba na, okay na tayo doon. Hindi po ba? Tapos na yung Sunday. In fact, the moment you get out here, you think of other things. And I'm done. It's like paying your dues. I was the Lord, ah. I'm done. And supposed to be Sunday is a Sabbath for us. It's supposed to be relegated to God. So we are still guilty, but, but we are calling us today not to be content of that, but seek to pursue the right worship. And I'll be circling around this idea. I'll be circling around this thought today. We ought to pursue the pure, gospel-centered worship that truly honors the God who saved us and which God honors because it is what Jesus made possible through his perfect obedience. We need to pursue that mature worship because it is what Jesus made possible through his perfect obedience. So why shouldn't we be content with worship but seek to pursue the right worship? First thing I would like us to see to worship is to worship the God who ought to be worshipped. We pursue it because we want to worship the God who ought to be worshipped. God called Jacob to make an altar to the God who appeared to him when he fled from his brother in verse 1. Look at the description given there to the God who appeared to him when he fled from his brother. Jacob told his household that they will go to Bethel to worship the God, in verse 3, the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. Moses narrated, Moses narrated that when Jacob and all his family reached Bethel, Moses said, there, Bethel, there be, what is this? He built an altar and called the place El Bethel to give emphasis that it's not just simply the place, but the God of the place. God of Bethel. Because there, God reappeared himself to him when he fled from his brother. Verse 7. You see that repetition? When he fled from his brother, when he fled from his brother. We know that when God appeared to Jacob, at, was Jacob was at the lowest point of his life. In Genesis 28, verse 10 to 12. He was sleeping and putting his head or with a stone under his head, which we already thought that it was a picture that he lived like a king. He was like a prince, being a son of Isaac. But now he had nothing. In fact, he laid, he put his head. It's a picture there. He put a stone under his head. He was at the lowest point when God met him. It is mentioned twice that God appeared to Jacob when he fled from his brother, verse 1 and 7. And verse 3 described that it, that, that time in the life of Jacob is a time of distress. 
the day of my distress, according to verse 3. Now, we could not right away get the, the emphasis on that. Hindi po natin kaagad makita yung importansya. Pero pag titingnan natin yung change ng description of God sa verse 9, God is no longer called the God who appeared to Jacob when he fled, but the God who appeared to him when he came from Padan Aram. When he came from Padan Aram, the stress before verse 9 is what God did to Jacob from the day he fled from his brother when he was 20 years in Padan Aram and he went back to Shechem. And if commentators were right, that approximately he stayed 10 years in Shechem. So from the day he fled his brother to going back approximately 30 years. The focus from verses 1 to 8 is what God did to Jacob until he was back to Bethel. We, pro- we remember that God's promise to Jacob in Genesis 28 verse 15 is this. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and bring you back to this land. For I will never leave you until I have done what I promised to you. To which Jacob responded, in verse 20 to 29, 21, sorry, if God will be with me, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. God Jacob was where God met him first. Bethel. Meaning, Meaning, it is a snapshot. It is, it is like a summary of everything. To be in Bethel again is like saying that God has promised every single, pro- sorry, God has fulfilled every single promise he made to Jacob. He brought him back. He provided for him. He kept him safe. He did not allow Jacob to be harmed. And now that God brought him back, God called him to worship. God called him to worship. Him who revealed himself to him and saved him from all the harm that could have kept him from returning to the promised land, which we already know are not few. They were many. So it is safe. It is safe at this point to say that Jacob was called to worship the God who delivered him. Jacob was called to worship the God who saved him. It is safe to say that Jacob was called to worship the God who delivered him. We understand something about worship here. Worship should be directed to the God who saved us. And it is no wonder as we look at the whole Old Testament and even New Testament that worship flows from the saving work of God. Worship flows from the saving work of God. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt. That's redemption. You shall have no other gods before me. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, to present your bodies 
as a living sacrifice. It is easy to think that this is junior varsity. Pastor, that's so basic. Who would not have the gospel in this church? Who would not have the gospel as the center of our worship? You're like a broken CD, repeating that over and over again. But if we consider what happened to Jacob when he was sincerely acknowledging that God, God to be his God in Genesis 30 verse 20, I believe it was a sincere worship. If you remember that, and yet family preservation became more important to him. We understand that we cannot hastily, hindi po tayo pwedeng magmadaling sabihin that the cross is at the center of our worship. We can express, pwede natin express yung gratefulness natin sa ginawa ni Cristo sa ibabaw ng cross with our lips, yet all the while values other things more than Christ. Don't we? Some of you are worshiping the Lord today with your lips, but you're already thinking, what am I going to have for lunch? We can only make sure that we have the cross at the few, as the fuel of our worship when we always draw ourselves near the cross. This is what the Puritans have been telling us. And the 21st century theologian John Stott wrote, The cross is the blazing fire at which the flame of our love is kindled. But we have to get near enough for its sparks to fall on us. We have to get near enough to the cross for us to get that spark that we might be ignited in our worship by the same cross that saved us. God had to remind Jacob to worship the God who appeared to him when he was at his lowest. We should always be be reminded to worship the God who saved us in the cross of Calvary. How have you been how have you been frequenting? Kano po tayo kadalas bumabalik sa Ibanghelyo? How have we been frequenting the cross? How have we been putting the cross right before us? Second, why should we seek to pursue the right worship? For God's people to give their purest of worship. We want to pursue that right worship that we may give the purest of worship to God. I said that one as a person who knows that I too am guilty of impure worship. And this one should cause us to tremble. This one is not one that we should take lightly. This one should cause us to redirect our thoughts unto the Holy God and tremble because we know we have been worshiping God 
with all our impurities. Two things must be emphasized here. First, the people of God. And the second is their pure worship. The people of God. The people of God alone can worship God. We know that. And in this case, it is the household of Jacob. Verse 2, which says, The household of Jacob and to all who were with him. So Jacob was addressing his household. And then verse 6 says, when they get to Bethel, he, meaning Jacob, and all who were with him, tells us that these were the people who were going to Bethel for the express purpose of making an altar. And yes, particularly Jacob himself. In the story, this is very, very important. We remember that the Shechemites offered to Israel to be one with them. And while the sons of Jacob, nakita po natin, very deceitful, killed all the males of the city, plundered the whole city, and we know it's wrong, we also know God would have already, or God would have really wanted them to separate and not be one with the Shechemites. Because he separated them for himself. This is clearly implied when God said to Jacob in, in verse 1 of chapter 35, Go up, go up to Bethel, arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. And the distance of 1,000 kilometers could not be more illustrative. No? Parang in, wala na pong mas magandang picture to, to show that God wants them to separate. Clearly, the emphasis was more of, and, and look at that, verse 16 of Genesis 35, makikita po natin that they left Bethel. So I, we thought you have to dwell there, but you left Bethel. Clearly then, that the emphasis was more of not dwelling in Shechem. So separate from the people of Shechem, they were supposed to be a distinct people of God, Separated for him. Secondly, his people of God were supposed to worship God with purity. They were to purify themselves. Look at verse 2. Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves and change your garments. Only then, look at the word then in verse 3, because it tells us, only then shall we arise and go to Bethel. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel, so that you may make there an altar to the God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. Verse 4, so they gave to Jacob all their foreign gods that they had and the rings that were in their ears. Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. There was one thing, again, that they have to do before going to worship in Bethel. Repentance. And by the way, Jacob redeemed his leadership when he called his people to corporate repentance. Jacob was all too passive in Genesis 34. Men, when we are all too passive, we are not providing leadership and if there's no leadership being provided the people will do anything that is right in their own eyes 
So they have to first repent. First repent before they will go to the house of God, which is what Bethel is all about. It, it means the house of God. So if you made a play of words, before they go to the house of God, they have to purify themselves. We may very well. So they have to get rid of their gods. And we may very well remember that si Rachel stole his father's household gods. And probably in their stay of, in Shechem, if commentators are right, that they stayed there for 10 years, then clearly with the kind of leadership that Jacob provided, clearly they have acquired more pagan gods. Genesis 34 is another chapter of no mention of God. No mention of God, Genesis 34. So they were to repent. Or that they would, they were to repent could not be more clear. Hindi na po mas magiging claro pa. But that God, but that Jacob told them direct, told them directly, purify yourselves. Purify yourselves. And Bruce Waltke suggested that the changing of their garments is a metaphor for changing their ways. It is a metaphor for changing their ways. And verse 4 could not be more dramatic. They gave to Jacob all their foreign gods. Look at this. This is very important in verse 4. And the rings, believed to be either connected to pagan worship still or the plunder they made from Shechem. And they hid. The word hid there is really dumped. In other translation, buried. They buried them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. That was that's very important. Remember in Genesis twelve verse six to seven, when Abraham came to um, the promised land. Verse six wrote, Abraham passed through the land to the place of Shechem to the oak of Moreh. Believed to be the same place where they buried these idols. Verse 7 Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. And if you notice in verse 8, it says, So he built, or the rest of verse 7, he built, I mean, verse 8, he built there an altar to the Lord who appeared to him. After which he went to Bethel. So it's like a picture there. That would tell us how to read what happened here. For Abraham, that time in Genesis 12, this is the beginning of Abraham's spiritual journey in the land of promise. This is the beginning of Abraham's spiritual journey in the land of promise. What is the importance here? This is the same place where Jacob buried the foreign gods. Which in the book of Genesis again, it means Jacob. Is starting a new journey of worshiping in his worship of God and his family's worship life. Listen to this, church. Repentance is always the starting point of worship. Unless we turn from our sins, we cannot pursue God. Sin and God 
are placed opposite from one another. If God is on the north and sin is on the south, you cannot pursue both God and sin. If you want to pursue God, you have to turn from your sin, which is repentance. It is no wonder that we have always been called to repent daily. Daily. And when there is true desire to worship, this repentance displayed that they had a true desire for worship. And when there is true desire for worship, God will grant such desire. God will grant such desire. Look at verse 5 to 7. I will be quick. And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. It may be that God used the killing of the males in Shechem to bring about terror. But take note that it did not say the terror that of, from what they did. It is a terror from God. When Israel went out of Egypt, nations were terrified. It's a terror from God that he placed in the hearts of these nations to protect his people. And because of this fear, we read in verse 6, Jacob came to lose came to Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan. He and the, all the people who were with him, and there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. Because there was genuine desire displayed in the repentance. God allowed them to travel and really worship. In Matthew chapter 2, we we remember that this Magi was coming from the east and they wanted to show their worship to Christ. God led them through a star and God protected them, led them from Herod. And there they find themselves worshiping God in the manger. In Psalm 84 verse 5 to 7, we read of this. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. So this is a psalm of ascent going there to Jerusalem so they can worship. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart is the highways to Zion. Hearts that are set on Zion, set on Jerusalem to worship God. As they go through the valley of tears, the valley of Baca, and it's supposed to be a place where people cry and mourn. They even make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it. With booths. In other words, God even provides for them in there to be refreshed. So that in verse 7, they go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. Those who want to worship God, God makes sure that they can worship. Contrary to what we always think that it is our greatest strength and our greatest achievement that we can need to present when we worship God. It is our humility and repentance. It is our humility and repentance that leads us to truly worship God. The mark of maturity is when we realize that there is so much sin in our hearts. There's so much sin in our lives and that we would begin to see them and by God's grace admit them before God. 
No wonder David says, a broken and a contrite heart, he will not despise. But what we need to point out here is that God fulfilled his promise, bringing back Jacob to the place where he revealed himself. Look at that. And Jacob fulfilled his vow to worship God there. It is his vow implied, but clearly God wants to bring him back to the place in Genesis 28. And Jacob vowed that he would go back there and worship God. Worship is done where God revealed himself to us and where we find hope for our weaknesses and sins. Back where we found God. Worship is done where we find our hope for our sins. It is in the cross of Calvary. Again, Romans 12.1, I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God, where the blood was shed, it is the mercy seat of the cross of Calvary. There present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We seek after the right worship because we know that it is purity that God seeks in our worship. Purity that God seeks in our worship. It's not the loud voices that we have per se. It is not the drums and, and the good music. It is our purity. And I wonder, even right now as I speak, what are the things in our lives that we need to repent before God? These past few days, what are the compromises that we have in our hearts? In these past few days, have we been lowering down our standards and we have been peaking, we have been gloating, maybe to some of us, we have been enjoying with our eyes things that we are not supposed to see. We have been feasting and rejoicing in our hearts things that we are supposed to mourn. Church, we can do this over and over again. We can do this Sunday after Sunday. But if you will not come to the edge of yourself and realize the awfulness of sin before God, so that we both cling to the cross and ask power from God which flows from the cross, that we can live purity in purity. Sunday after Sunday, we could be wasting our time. We should seek for purity and obedience if we seek to truly honor God with our worship. Now, this is painful. I, see, I say that one with a pain in my heart because I also know that I can raise my hands and raise my voice. But I am quick to sin and disobey God. Why should we pursue the right worship? Thirdly, and I'll be quick. Thirdly, for God to honor his people's pure 
worship. For God to honor his people's pure worship. Verse 35, verses 9 to 15. Let me not just read that one, but just enumerate things that we can find there. One, God did not just speak as in verse 1, but God appeared to Jacob as in Genesis 28. So in terms of God revealing himself, appearing in the book of Genesis is greater than just simply talking to um, his people. The change of time when he fled from his brother to when he came from Padan Aram seems to tell us that God has done his promise. He was back from Padan Aram to Bethel. The play of words, Bara fled to Barak, blessed. He was fleeing at the time. Now God gives him his blessing in verse 9. So this passage talks about God blessing Jacob. The confirmation of the change of name. Jacob to Israel. He already, God already that, did that one in Genesis 32 verse 28. Where the emphasis there was the transformation of Jacob. Here the emphasis was on the blessing of Jacob. The word Israel also means not only that he prevailed but also means or used as he is a blessing. In fact, the, not only that he will become a nation, but that he will also have company of nations. It's the first time being mentioned here in the book of Genesis. In general, though, this is a confirmation of the covenant. A confirmation of the covenant. And what is the covenant? Look at that. From the very beginning, Abraham, be fruitful and multiply. Adam sent, sorry, Abram, did I say Abram? Yeah, Adam. At the very beginning, God said to Adam, be fruitful and multiply. They sinned, and we thought that would now change. But, but in the time of Noah, God said to Noah, be fruitful and multiply. But it's no longer just for the whole people, but for the people in the line of the woman whose son will crush the head of the serpent. It will now be on these particular people that they will multiply, be fruitful and multiply. So what we have here is the very promise from the very beginning. God will have a people for himself. It is the same covenant that God said to Abraham, be fruitful and multiply, which is the key to that is the offspring of Abraham. And here we find more details given to Jacob. In fact, we are told very clearly that the kings will come from his own body. The twelve sons, particularly from the twelve sons, particularly from the tribe of Judah, a lion of the tribe of Judah later on down the line will be raised up. The king of kings. If anything, God only made his promises clearer. Look at that. The explicit mention of Abraham and Isaac in verse 17 pertaining to the land in verse 12 is like reaffirming to Jacob not only that he would get the land, but that he really got the blessing which God gave to Isaac and father Abraham. Look at this. To receive this after the fiasco could not be more 
timely. After you failed big time before God, God came to you. And you probably think, I'll be scolded. I'll be scolded for sure. But God only came to Jacob to reaffirm the covenant. Humbly. How important is the confirmation of the covenant in the book of Genesis? Look at that. How could Jacob feel, or how would Jacob feel that after 20 to 30 years of not so faithful of a life, alam natin tong, parang hindi to ganun ka faithful si Jacob, all failures, God only confirmed the covenant to him. Life could be difficult at times. And I don't know, with, with our own spiritual journey, there are seasons that we always fall into sin. In God here and there, we would even doubt if God would still honor His promise. Some of us even doubted your salvation. At some point when you sin against God, you even doubt if God, if you're really saved, if God would really save you. As humans, we can think that God must have forgotten or changed his mind considering the kind of life we have. But when God finally speaks to us, he has nothing but to confirm that he is still on the promise. He is still on the promise. Jacob might have forgotten at some point. We might have forgotten at some point, but God could never forget his promise. And that is why the whole Old Testament is filled with the word faithfulness. When we read the word faithfulness in the Old Testament, it is not much of faithfulness into your situation as it is his faithfulness to his own word. And because of his faithfulness to his own word, flows his steadfast love towards you. He did it with Abraham. In Genesis 15, after giving the promise in Genesis 12, and you repeat it in Genesis 17. And here, towards the end of the spotlight on Jacob, God reaffirmed his covenant with him. Look at that. Reaffirmation or confirmation of the covenant does not focus much on Jacob or any of God's covenant partners. But it focuses much on the faithfulness of God to His promise. Isn't it that today we always go back to this character of God? When everything is messed up, we always go back to the truth that God is a covenant-keeping Covenant is very important, or the confirmation of the covenant is very important. But Jacob once more memorialized the place. Look at verse 14 to 15. He once again set a pillar of stone. It's not just an altar, it's now a pillar of stone. Like what he did in Genesis 28. And what is it? He consecrated it and he named that again Bethel. What is that for? It is to memorialize the event that happened there. It's like, in the book of Genesis, this is done when God did something very important again that should not be forgotten. Now, God would never forget. But we can always turn to that memorial and say, Lord, in this memorial, 
you promised me. In this memorial, probably Jacob and the rest of Israel later on would say, Lord, in this place, you promised. You gave the covenant in this place. We could not miss that. It's beautiful. There are things that God memorialized. That's why we also celebrate the Lord's Supper and we also celebrate baptism because those are memorials that would remind us of the gospel of Christ where we can always turn and say, Lord, you promised. You promised us. However, we could not miss the timing. It comes after God brought Jacob to worship him in the right place, which makes us realize how God honors a true, pure, and right worship. This is why we pursue this. Redemption moves towards its fulfillment through obedience. And as God will, will be perfectly obeyed, unlike Jacob who still stayed in Shechem or Abraham who went to Egypt, the fulfillment of God's redemption will be through one who will perfectly obey him. And because Jesus alone rendered the perfect obedience, he alone is the one who saves, purifies, and make clear, make clear the blessings of God. He alone saves, purifies, and makes clear the blessings of God. You remember on the last one, God, he makes clear the blessings of God. Paul, in the book of Ephesians, he said, the mystery, and the mystery is that Jews and Gentiles will become one in the church. And that was just revealed because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 3, 6. Look at the plan of God. It continues to unfold, and it is now very clear because perfect obedience from the covenant partner has already been rendered, which is what God demanded from his covenant partner. Ephesians 3.6 wrote, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same promise in Christ Jesus, through the gospel. The story of Jacob, whose life has been grown by God, God has been communicating. Look at that. God has been, not only Jacob, but also Abraham and even Isaac. God has been communicated that the redemption will be fulfilled through a perfect obedience. And praise God that while Jacob failed, Abraham failed, Isaac failed, David failed, Joshua failed, everything else that follows failed. There is one person who did, and it is the Lord Jesus Christ. Right worship could only be rendered in Christ Jesus, where sinners stand righteous, continually sanctified, grow in their understanding of the plan of God, and enjoy the blessings of God. That's where we should go. I was listening to a podcast where Dane Ortland was interviewed about his book, Deeper, and he eloquently said that he is a scholar. He graduated his undergrad theology, two master's degree, and one PhD in Wheaton College. 
He was into wide studies. But he exhorted that it is not simply trying to know everything. It's not trying to know all the doctrines. But to go deeper into Christ. In his thinking. To grow in maturity. Is to grow deeper. Deeper into Christ. So then. If we are to grow in our worship church, if we are to grow in our worship, as it is very important and clear when God grew Jacob, we have to grow deep into Christ. I was repenting before God of my sins. I found myself asking, Lord, why do you still allow me to sin against you? I mean, Lord, why don't you just unilaterally Control me so I would not sin ever anymore. It made me realize a lot of things in the presence of God. My desire to honor God is genuine. I just want to honor Him. But honoring God means being able to yield to Him at all times, to love Him with all our hearts, mind, soul, and stress. Third, then I realize it is impossible to do so. It's just impossible that there's a growing desire in my heart, Lord, unsuchable desire. I just want to honor you. It's just impossible. Fourth realization. As I was longing for that kind of worship, I realized Jesus did it for me. Exactly the, 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 the desire to honor God perfectly. Jesus did it for me. Fifth realization. If he alone did it, he alone can help me. Nobody else. And now I realize why Paul said, Wretched man that I am who can help me from this body of death. And he said, Thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Sixth realization. My approach towards God, towards growth, look at this, before I muscle it, my approach towards growth is to see how weak I am. To ask the Lord that I may realize that's how weak I am. Because as I realize how weak I am, I could no longer cling on to my strength, but cling on to Jesus Christ alone. And ask him to change me. In a way that I never did before. This is what true maturity is. True maturity is is not when you think you have become strong. True maturity is, is when you realize you are weaker than you thought. Jacob showed that maturity when he wrestled with God. I will not let you go. You're my only hope. But probably after the problem with Esau, he probably thought everything is over. And has forgotten that the one lesson he learned from that wrestling, that he should embody it every step of the way. That I will just, I will not let go of God unless you bless me. 
have you come to understand how weak you are? Or you are still proud enough to sing? Because if we are to worship God in the right way, it is not done by stress. It is done by acknowledging your weakness. And just cling on to God. We ought to pursue the worship that truly honors God, who saved us and honors our worship, because it is what Jesus made possible through his perfect obedience. Have you ever been guilty of wanting to do a thing, but you could not for whatever reason, you do not have time, probably. And when you finally have time, you still did not do it. Isn't this the picture? You want to worship God. And you do not know how. Now you know how. It is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you do it? This is the worship we ought to pursue. Let's pray. Our gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray that we will grow in our worship to you. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Cruciform Life Church Podcast. Check out more gospel-centered messages at www.cruciformlifechurch.org or subscribe to this podcast at Spotify.